We've never been able to be more informed during pregnancy than we are today, along with the screening ultrasounds that those of us who had babies in recent decades might have had, parents-to-be now have access to simple blood tests that can indicate whether a baby might have a chromosome issue. They're also a way of finding out as early as 10 weeks whether you're having a boy or a girl. The trouble is, parents who send off for these tests because they want peace of mind or want to find out the sex can feel blindsided when the result comes back high risk, maybe even for a condition they didn't know they were being tested for. That was the experience of Tanika Madden from Bunbury in Western Australia. I had a few people around me at the time that were also pregnant and had done the NIPT and then found out the gender at 12 weeks. So I decided to do that basically and find out the gender quite early on. So I was offered that and paid for that without really yeah, informing myself, I guess, of what the test is actually fully testing for. So I'm aware that it was obviously, yeah, they test the three trisomies, you know, like your Down syndrome and everything, but that was ba- and the gender. <laughs> and that was basically it. That was all. And I was given, you know, a brief sort of description of what the test was. And yeah, basically was just explained that it comes back, you know, either high risk or low risk for those things. And that's about it. I wasn't aware that there was any other boxes being ticked. A week and a half later, I got a phone call from my doctor, yeah, asking to come in and bring in a support person as she's been the test results had come back in. What did you think when your doctor said, come in and bring a support person with you? Oh, obviously your mind, yeah, it goes to the worst possible thing straight away. I knew straight away that obviously it wasn't going to be good because I'd been informed that basically if it came back clear, she was just going to give me a phone call and tell me to come in and grab an envelope with the gender in it. So basically I was told that the result had come back. So I was having a little girl. So it came back high risk for monosomy X, which is also known as Turner syndrome which is where so females are meant to have two X chromosomes, but Turner syndrome girls only have one. Mm -hmm. So I was given, you know, the option of, I think, medical termination. I was given the option of basically just, you know, doing nothing and continuing the pregnancy without, you know, knowing. The last option was to go up to a specialist hospital like KMH up in Perth and have an amniocentesis done at around 16 weeks. And, you know, that would confirm whether or not my baby has Turner syndrome. So I decided to go with that option. And then, so yeah, around 16 weeks, I went up to the specialist hospital um, and had a scan done. And I ended up declining the amniocentesis just as, yeah, I was, you know, obviously given the risks to also having that done. And I decided that the risks were too high. And in that time, I had done my own research. So Turner syndrome babies, there's only a 2% chance that these babies make it to birth. So I obviously had that in the back of my mind the whole time. A 2% um, Yeah, oh yeah. So it was awful. <laughs> and I found some stories of mums who were in a similar sort of position and had ended up having false positives. So that's how I learned about how these tests can actually not always be correct. <laughs> so they, they didn't know if she was going to have Turner syndrome or not because I didn't do the amnio. So I did go my whole pregnancy not knowing. It was awful. Yeah, it was um, the anxiety and just it wasn't a good time. I always had that 2% <laughs> playing in the back of my mind the entire time. And then, yes, yeah, so she was born at birth. She didn't look like she had Turner syndrome. So they, they often went, a bit yeah, small, look, we aren't they? Yeah, so she wasn't small for her gestation. She looked healthy. They thought she wouldn't have it, but I still just, I needed to know. <laughs> 
So I had to wait until she was five months old and we were finally able to do a full chromosome analysis and it came back that she yeah, had 46 XX chromosomes. Oh, girl. Completely normal. <laughs> yes, it was a false positive. <laughs> you think that more information would help you be calmer, but actually yeah. it can yeah. go the other way. Yeah, you know, learning all about Turner syndrome was my whole world for quite a while during that time as well. It really, really affected me and I feel quite robbed of what could have been, you know, with my pregnancy. Yeah, if your doctor's offering it, you kind of just assume, yeah, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Or that you've been given the full description of what's actually being done. Basically just making sure that you yourself, that you are informed of what you're being tested for. Tanika, thank you so much. Awesome, thank you. Bunbury mum, Tanika Madden. And given the experiences of parents like Tanika, researchers in Melbourne have developed a decision aid to help people navigating the testing options available. I spoke to obstetrician Lisa Hoy about why she and her colleagues created the tool. It's not until people start having a conversation and thinking about what's important to them that they can navigate the forest of choices. There aren't just one or two options to choose from now, there are multiple ones. So we thought a decision aid would be the best way to get people to think about the important things that will guide their decision. The other thing we wanted to be very clear about in this decision aid is that it's not a substitute for a conversation with a woman's midwife or doctor. It's just a starting point and it just helps them go to their consultation with a bit of information and having already a bit about what's important to them. Things like, you know, how much information do you want? What sort of choices would you make if you received an increased chance result or a low chance result? And it also importantly distinguishes between a screening test and a diagnostic test. That's a very common misconception that I see amongst pregnant women when they're trying to understand what a test result means. So can you quickly define the difference between the two? So a screening test tells somebody whether they have a higher than background chance of a condition or a lower than background chance. So it doesn't tell a person for certain whether they have the condition or or whether their baby carries a particular condition or not. It just says whether there's a high chance or a low chance. What we've traditionally done in pregnancy screening is offered a screening test first because a diagnostic test is an invasive procedure and it carries a small risk of miscarriage. So it's not really feasible or ethical to go straight to diagnostic testing for everyone. So a screening test is a safe way for women to get information about whether there's an increased chance or not. And if they do get an increased chance screening result, then they can have a further conversation with their medical practitioner and a genetic counsellor about whether to go on to have a diagnostic test. So diagnostic tests include things like amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling or CVS. So they're the invasive tests that might be offered. It sometimes feels like if there's a test available that you sort of should take it. Has that sort of been what you found is people's sort of starting point with more and more tests coming into use? That is one of the issues in this area. All testing is voluntary. And what we've found in Victoria, at least, is that most women do want some information about the chance of a chromosome condition in their baby. So when we're talking about screening for conditions like Down syndrome or Edwards syndrome, which are chromosome conditions, about 85% of pregnant women are choosing to have some form of screening test. But they are voluntary. And that's one of the things that the decision aid talks about 
from the very beginning and that's one of the steps that people work through, whether a screening test is actually something that's in line with their preferences and values or whether it's something that they might choose to decline. So can you tell me about how the decision aid is being rolled out? Like how do people find out about it? It's online. It's a web-based app, so it's freely available to anyone. It's housed at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute website. And what it does is it asks the participants questions as well as providing some information and background knowledge. And then it makes suggestions based on the person's responses. So they might say, looks like you're leaning towards screening or leaning away from screening. And then if someone is interested in screening tests, it goes through further questions and then it discusses the types of screening tests that a person might be leaning towards or leaning away from. And then at the end, people can save the results of the decision aid so that they can email it to themselves or to their doctor or midwife. And that means that they can use that as a starting point for a discussion when they go for their visit to talk about what sort of screening tests they may or may not wish to have. What sort of feedback have you had or have you sort of studied the uptake and the outcomes of the decision aid formally? It's only just been launched, so we will be evaluating it. We have done some pilot studies already, which showed that the decision aid does help improve women's knowledge about these screening tests. And we certainly involved consumers and end users in the development of this. So we hope that it's a useful resource. We're very keen to get feedback from anyone who wishes to provide feedback, but we will be doing a formal evaluation in the coming months. What sort of qualitative feedback have you had from people? What kind of stories have they told you? I've heard from people who have already had their babies and said that they wished that they'd had something like this when they were going through their pregnancy because they didn't quite understand exactly what tests they were having. Um, Some of them did get unexpected results. It really fits into a broader theme that we come back to a lot on the health report about just over-screening and over-treating. I think it's important that people realise that prenatal screening is voluntary and that there is a ever-increasing number of conditions that we can detect before a baby is born. And that's what I think a lot of women don't quite appreciate, that they might think they're being tested for one condition, but the test might bring up information about a whole lot of other things they weren't expecting. So informed consent is a really important principle of any screening test. Just articulating some of the reasons why people might choose not to screen, because I think the decision to choose to screen is relatively self-evident. You know, you're actively choosing to screen for a thing. You want to know if that's a risk or not, if you're fully informed. Can you kind of maybe articulate some of the reasons why people might choose not to do these screening tests? So... Some women choose not to have screening tests because having information about a potential health condition in their baby isn't information they would find helpful during their pregnancy. And often that's because these women wouldn't consider changing any decisions they make about continuing the pregnancy based on the result of a prenatal diagnostic test. And that might include women who would never consider a termination of pregnancy, no matter how serious the condition is that their baby might have. Having said that, screening and diagnostic tests can still provide very useful information for people who would never consider a termination because it allows them to adjust to the diagnosis and for us to offer appropriate pregnancy care, you know, if we're expecting a baby with particular health needs. So 
we shouldn't consider that screening and diagnosis is necessarily tied to someone's attitudes about termination of pregnancy. The process of going through a decision aid is in itself kind of gets you thinking about what you would do. Most people undergo tests because they want reassurance about the health of their pregnancy and their baby, and they haven't really thought too hard about what they would do if they received a result that didn't give them reassurance. Mm. So working through this means that it helps focus people's minds a little bit on those sorts of unexpected scenarios, which they might not have thought about. And it also helps them start a conversation with their partners about what their thoughts would be if you know, they did face a, a result that indicated an increased chance of a health condition in their baby. Associate Professor Lisa Hoy, specialist in maternal fetal medicine at the Mercy Hospital for Women and the University of Melbourne. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.